I'm just going to turn things right over to Eric because I know he's got lots he wants to talk about. Eric, how you doing? Good, Kevin. Thanks. Uh, appreciate the uh, the intro. I want to thank everybody for getting on the call today. Uh, I know it's short notice, but uh, it's a pretty great turnout. I see uh, more than 70 people on the call here. You know, I'm just going to start with a, a short brief of kind of the the lay of the land or the issues that we face right now, right? I'm going to allow some time for uh, Zillin and Will and Kevin to respond and uh, we'll hear from uh, Zillin with uh, a little brief on kind of uh, implementation and follow up, just put some context to the uh, the com from last week regarding uh, the lack of progress uh, with with implementation. And then I will hear from Will a little bit on the mutual benefits package, uh, which is um, oh, part of uh, how we kind of find ourselves at this crossroads and how to uh, maybe successfully navigate out of uh, the situation we find ourselves in, right? So, uh, we'll follow up with uh, Q&A with the pilot group, stay here and answer questions for uh, for as long as you guys have questions. I just want to uh, offer a reminder here on, you know, professional decorum. This is a public call. Uh, expect that management and uh, the chief pilot office is on and tuned in. Uh, we welcome their presence. This is a, you know, a deep discussion with uh, our pilot group about things that are meaningful to us and, uh Having management here to uh, understand how you feel about these issues is, is fairly important. We understand that some of this might be tough to hear, difficult to work through, and fraught with peril, right? Uh, but it's extremely important that the pilot group has clarity and transparency on these issues and uh, ultimately uh, is going to be well informed and be able to make uh, good decisions about where we go, right? So I'm going to ask that you please do not repost, record, or otherwise paraphrase the uh, uh, call today. This discussion is contextual. Paraphrased repost result in missed messages and incorrect misunderstandings. Some of these have hurt the pilot group greatly and undermined our negotiating. Please leave the discussion here or find it via the MEC website. We are recording, as Kevin said. We will... Uh, Post uh, today's conversation uh, pending legal review, right? And um, uh, it should be on all of our usual uh, outlets, including iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and the like. So before we get into the topics of today's call, I just want to put a little bit of context around who we are and what this airline is, right? We're a growing airline uh, with significant external and internal challenges, not like unlike any other business, right? Uh, all businesses have uh, internal and external threats, right? And there are some very good people here who are trying very hard to create a healthy labor relationship. And uh, this is something that the MEC deeply desires to foster. Uh, we understand with great clarity uh, that um, when the pilot uh, or so when the company uh, does better, uh, so do we, right? Every pilot here knows that they are going to do better. They're going to get better work rules. They're going to get better pay when uh, the company does better, right? 
uh, it's as simple as knowing that by working uh, together towards our future successes that we will be better and stronger. And uh, if we do this together, uh, we will end up with better results, right? Um, some of the people in management, uh, right, have uh, taken great strides uh, with this company um, in the short time that Joe Houghton has been here. We've seen really significant progress with training and the OE backlog. Um, you know, he's been holding people accountable for performance, which is uh, remarkable and something that this MEC has asked management to do for some time. Uh, the setup of the simulator and the training center setup has been uh, literally nothing short of uh, multiple miracles. I've really never seen anybody get a sim set up and into proving uh, quite as quickly uh, or successfully. So it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, OC, right, who is still here, by the way, right, uh, he offers a great moderating voice to both sides, acts as a good check valve on uh, both sides' internal echo chambers, right? So um, a good guy for, for both sides to have around. Andy Papaleo, um, who we've worked with, you know, closely for many years now um, and is now in charge of crew planning, crew scheduling, um, he has, you know, taken on tasks of training crew scheduling on contract compliance. A lot of that is fairly new. Um, it, a lot of it hasn't seen its way down into, uh, the scheduler pilot interaction yet, but it is happening. It is there and it's meaningful. Okay. Um, uh, Andy stays engaged with Alpa on contract interpretations. He reaches out to find out if what they're about to do is a violation or not. That's a healthy place to be. It's a good place to be, right? When you take a look at our C team, right, uh, Greg has brought analytics and data collection to an airline that was previously adrift. Uh, we had no data. Um, he speaks the language of data that Amazon speaks, and it keeps that relationship healthy, gives us great growth opportunities there. Um, uh, Jude, right, has brought vision to an airline that was lost. Um, all it had was sayings about True North, right? Great. Awesome. Uh, he has truly built an exceptional high revenue business plan that's unlike anything else in the industry. Um, he has seen through uh, successful airplane acquisitions, right, has created value in this company that was nowhere near uh, what the market cap of this company is now uh, seen through an IPO, right? And uh, this airline is now stable and resilient, right, due to Jude's vision. And that cannot be uh, uh, said with any more clarity that it is Jude's vision that has brought this place along to where it is. Um, Eric Levenhagen, right, um, we have worked very closely with uh, since the beginning of negotiating last year. Uh, he has been navigating a very tough implementation process with very strong headwinds. Um, uh, it is, you know, Eric is absolutely not pilot adverse. Um, I would say most of the people that I've talked about so far, are not pilot adverse. And, um, in fact, all of them are not pilot adverse. They like pilots and want pilots to do well. Um, Eric has been a, a, an advocate for many, many uh, pilot issues that go unseen. 
and truly is setting up a, a meaningful grievance process to handle the grievance backlog. Um, works with us on a daily basis with on a basis on a multitude of different issues. Um, these are not bad people. They are caught in some complicated times and difficult headwinds that are are hard to uh, make it through. Right. So that said, uh, implementation needs to be successful, right? It is the job of this MEC to see that through um, the failure to progress, which we outlined in the comm last week was eloquently explained by Will. Uh, and we can dig into more specifics on that uh, during uh, Zillin's brief and the Q&A portion of the call. Uh, I'd like everyone to hear from uh, both uh, Will and Zillin as well as Kevin uh, on these topics and not just me. Um, there's uh, clearly a lot at hand. Uh, it's important that we hear from everybody, understand how they perceive uh, the various different uh, issues that we're handling as an MEC. And um, so before we um, get to the Q&A portion, you'll get a little brief from uh, both Zillin and Will, right? Um, from Will on the mutual benefits package, from Zillin on uh, the implementation issues. So um, I think what you can read into that, um, right, the failure to implement um, or progress with implementation uh, is that the gains that we saw in December, right, the things that put us ahead of other airlines and allowed us a competitive advantage have largely been squandered um, as other airlines have begun to pass us by. Um, right? All the while, our attrition uh, continues to accelerate uh, to Delta and United. Um, the mutual benefits package that we'll talk about um, would help to bring us back into a competitive context, okay? Uh, it would help fix staffing, uh, incentivize movement into the left seat, and allow us to hire in numbers that would allow us to grow instead of just tread water, right? Um, so while some of this, like I said, is dark or difficult to hear and fraught with conflict, not without you know difficult conversation about the stability of our careers, uh, know that there is a path out of this uh, conflict, right? Um, uh, we are very determined to find a path on vacation leveling, leveling and uh, meaningful engagement on implementation fixes. We can make these things happen, right? Um, if there's anything you should come away from this conversation uh, with today, uh, it's simply that we will work on agreeable leveling terms while the management team talks to the board regarding the mutual benefits package, which would help to find the bodies needed to provide uh, meaningful vacation leveling and ultimately growth, right? Um, that is the most important statement here today. Everything else that we talk about uh, adds color to that sentence, right? Um, uh, but uh, we as an MEC, as a negotiating committee, um, uh, need to uh, offer this pilot group the vision that we see uh, an understanding uh, of what we uh, are encountering and transparency to the work being done, right? And this is part of that process. So 
Um, what we see, right, um, starts kind of back at uh, Apollo ownership. Um, the cost cutting and cost controls, right, that were good ideas working up to uh, the IPO, um, which were designed to maximize the initial uh, offer price, right? Uh, those are now counter to a growth airline, which needs to pay their way to profitability. Um, we're at the crossroads between one ideology and the other, right? We have a split management team uh, at cross purposes, a split board with one vote uh, favoring uh, Apollo uh, more than kind of the, the long-term Sun Country vision. And one side wants to invest in a long-term five-year plan. The other one wants to cost cut their way to a quick exit, right? Um, with that, there comes kind of this myth of the great Q1. If we can just have a great Q1, the stock price will go up, Apollo will exit, um, the uh, board will turn over, and we'll see, uh, you know, at the end of Q1, moving on uh, from antiquated Northwest anti-labor thinking, that will become marginalized and the management team will get control of their company back. Uh, that isn't necessarily wrong, um, but it might not be right either, right? Uh, and that's that's a reality that the MEC has to grapple with, right? Um, it's a particularly uh, insulated vision based on uh, internal thinking, right? Um, Apollo may well not share that vision and uh, could do one or a combination of many different things, right? Um, we hear about all this from you guys on a regular basis, right? Uh, are we going to merge, right? We, we, Apollo could merge and bring scale to a great business model, right? Uh, sale to cash out at a higher price than the stock would yield. Um, Apollo could buy back a controlling interest in the stock because the price is low. Uh, they could relate, replace part or all of the management team or, or, or Apollo could just sit, cross their arms and do little or nothing, right? Um, wait it out. So the... The MEC's opinion on a merger sale, just to add some context here, um, our job is to protect the interests of the pilots, right? In the event there is a seniority list integration that results as a uh, from a, a merger, we don't believe a merger sale to be the case. Um, there's some good arguments against it. And um, while we have not heard anything from Apollo on this subject, the C team has been very clear uh, they would like to retain control of the company. Uh, we've been engaged in coordinating conversations uh, since the uh, Apollo purchase of Atlas uh, occurred. We continue to talk to them on a regular basis. And ultimately, the Sun Country MEC will continue to work to defend the interests of the pilots and be prepared, right? Um, coming out of... December. Um, I don't know if you could chalk it up to uh, maybe uh, emotional hurt from the way that the deal was made or uh, just aggressive posturing or an misunderstanding of what one's leverage is in the industry these days. Um, but we were told there would be no fixes, no negotiating, and just the black and white and no more, right? 
Uh, no LOAs. Uh, it's a direct order from the Apollo controlled board. So no VP at the company can sign LOAs with their work group. Um, what this results in, right, is, you know, hastily work through sections such as Section 18 then result in uh, a stressed airline, right, uh, with uh, failing morale and uh, conflict. Um, it's a aggressive posture designed to run over the pilot group and run over the instructors, and uh, it neuters the vice president and director level of this company and leaves uh, the contract in a vague and ambiguous state, which is uh, intolerable. It cannot stay that way. Um, it is an agreement between the two parties, and reaching clarity on that agreement is of uh, importance. It's of importance to this pilot group, the MEC, and ultimately to the company as well, right, to be a good employer. Uh, it creates a backdrop of hostility and entitlement that colors the whole of our relationship. And despite efforts by some in management to paper over the toxicity, it is still there. It is a bad idea. Um, that sort of toxic labor ideology, right? Um, uh, that rigidity remains a barrier to effective negotiating and finding mutually beneficial paths to help the airline. Um, it is uh, a competitive advantage for a company to have a good and healthy relationship with its labor. Um, there are, are people here who are working on that, right? Uh, but that kind of black and white, my way or the highway, no fixes, no negotiating, that leads to a very, very difficult and complex place, right? Uh, efforts both by management and ALPA to do things that are make sense and mutually beneficial fail. Uh, for instance, uh, reserve ads. We had three or four shots at that, even the company coming to us asking to do it, uh, which was ultimately uh, turned down, right? That is not a, a healthy negotiating relationship. Uh, things that are asked for by management to make things work better, right? Which the MEC puts effort into and resources that uh, the pilots of this airline pay for uh, fail on delivery, right? Um, company asked for a class date move. Um, we moved heaven and earth to make that happen so that people could start earlier, and they ultimately failed to get it done um, simply because paying people to the start date of the effective date of the award, which they do anyways, uh, didn't work seven days earlier. Tensions uh, within the pilot group grow as these issues remain unresolved and without a rudder, right? Uh, Section 18, the instructor agreement, uh, FOLO, which uh, doesn't offer the reserve transparency that was offered. Um, ultimately, uh, know that this MEC remains committed to creating a healthy and functional labor relationship, uh, but it can't be a one-sided relationship. It has to work both ways, and um, it's important that it's not just, yes, we're trying really hard, but things are actually happening and happening correctly. Uh, this company is still plagued with a failing 
middle management infrastructure. Um, we have seen significant and wide replacement of failure and incompetence at the VP and director level. Uh, still have yet to see the staffing underneath replaced with competent and capable people. Uh, some of this is not for lack of trying. The labor market is tough. Finding experienced people willing to come here and work is very difficult. Um, we've seen firsthand uh, as some of the possible candidates have been searched out and passed us by. Uh, however, without fixing the toxicity that is oozing from the top of this company, one has to ask why anyone would come and work here. Uh, certainly, they talk to people who do work here, right? Um, before you work anywhere, you call up people you know and find out what it's like to be inside, right? This happens at a pilot level. It happens at a middle management level. It happens at a gate agent level, right? Um, middle management have done irreparable harm to this company uh, from uh, the failure of the training department to grow uh, when the contract was uh, signed in December, um, training scheduling, which still uh, has not taken on the obligation to become compliant uh, and is led by a training director who has no interest in making them compliant, uh, crew scheduling who uh, has employees who treat their people horribly and uh, crew planning that um, doesn't hire, say, how many captains you need in a year, but just tries to hire what you need for FOs next month. I cannot say with more clarity uh, the need to reset where this company is at. These people work against the better interest of this company and uh, directly uh, undermine the leadership of this company. Um, they need to be held accountable. They need to be dismissed if they cannot do their jobs. And they need to be re replaced with people who have a solid five-year vision and who are not pilot adverse. It is as simple as that. So that kind of colors a little bit of why implementation is a problem, right? When you come to an issue, say, like instructor overrides, and the entirety of the training department has been brought in to read through the document and you get to the second page and training scheduling says that's not the way that we pay that to a vice president at the company. And the vice president says, no, that's what we negotiated. That's what you have to do now. And the answer back is, no, that's not how we do it here. That's why implementation has failed. It's that over and over and over again, right? And a culture of uh, we're going to save pennies at this airline by not sweeping the floor because we don't have a broom or we're going to harvest parts off of a catering truck with uh, airline mechanics rather than going down to AutoZone to buy an alternator. Uh, it is ludicrous. Um, that is why implementation is failing. It's uh, a toxic view of nothing more than the black and white, and we're going to beat labor back coming from one place and middle management undercutting from another place. 
both of them create difficult headwinds and an unstable future for this pilot group that needs to be resolved. So how does vacation leveling, right, become the nexus of disaster and the impending apocalypse, right? Um, sleepy, sleepy little vacation leveling that really is uh, usually not much of a story at all, right? What this comes down to is the the Q1 story, right? Plain and simple. It's an outsized focus on finding Apollo an exit path, and the pilots are going to fly as much block as possible um, and mitigate premium pay as much as possible, right? But you're going to use every pilot possible, uh, put no vacation into Q1, which means that you pack it all into May and September, and the pilot group gets run over on leveling that was, you know, guaranteed in negotiations back in December and is supposed to eat it in Q1. Meanwhile, May and September continue to be or are even more so operationally unstable. Uh, it's clear from the vacation discussion that we did have leading up to the failure to implement the leveling that there are simply not enough bodies on property to fly the flying. Ultimately, Q1 won't be as profitable as needed, and the Apollo exit will probably not come to fruition. It, there's just simply not enough block being flown, nor are there enough bodies to fly the block. Um, flying 10,500 hours of block uh, in uh, January, February, March, maybe some increase in February, March, is not enough. We need to fly more. Uh, we need more people. We need more bodies. Ultimately, we need more captains. We need experienced captains, uh, preferably people off of this list, right? Yet we are uh, faced with untenable uh, non-industry standard schedules, right, that are being driven by the desire to fly as much block as possible so that Apollo will exit, right? How bad is the staffing problem or how big is the problem that we have by not having the staffing we need, right? Notice that we're not growing, right? Uh, as a public company, you either pay dividends or you're a growth company. Right now, we're neither. Um, that is uh, absolutely an existential threat to this airline. Uh, we need more pilots, right? Every other airline out there is saying we need more pilots, and the obvious answer is pay boatloads of money and you'll get tons of pilots. That hasn't been exactly clear that that's where things are at anymore. All over the industry, you have uh, first officers who refuse to upgrade and people who are downgrading, right, because of quality of life and uh, untenable schedules, right? So why would we want to fix the staffing problems of this company, right? Because pilots are the growth constraint. And um, the mutual benefits package uh, that we'll have, uh, we'll walk through, um, as it's proposed, we would see incremental interim gains for our pilot group, right? Uh, that is important. Uh, some of the interim gains that we would see there are things that would uh, allow us to grow to the point where uh, we are highly profitable and as a result can seek more gains and fix our schedules, right? Uh, short of that, I think this management team is going to work this pilot group like a horse through March, six months, right? 
of trying to maximize profits in order to get Apollo to leave, totally blind to the fact that they're driving attrition through the roof all on their own. It's really a a complicated situation to be in. Uh, Ultimately, the relief valve there is for us to encourage them to hire pilots and make that possible and facilitate that. As we work through the path of negotiating the mutual benefits package, uh, understand that uh, this does a lot of a lot of things. Some of them good, uh, some of them complicated for a pilot group like seniority inversions. Right? Um, it's going to be up to the pilot group to ratify this as an LOA. This is not something the MEC can uh, unilaterally pass. Understand uh, when we come to this conversation. I just want to have a small diversion here. Right? Um, it is incredibly important that you, as a pilot group, trust this MEC and allow an MEC to uh, make the decisions that an MEC needs to make. Otherwise, they become powerless. And in the management MEC relationship, uh, the MEC has no say, right? We need to be able to do LOAs. You elect people in order to uh, represent you. That's the whole notion of representational government, right? Is that they uh, you empower people to make some of the decisions for you because uh, those decisions are going to be in your best interest, right? So what we offer is transparency and education. And um, when something uh, touches pay and seniority in the way that this does, it needs to go out to pilot ratification, right? So uh, understand that the pilot group will determine the if the exchange in value is acceptable or not. Uh, we will work in your interest to gain a proper exchange of value uh, that um, uh, allows for a meaningful package that works, right? So just want to come back to this, right? Why will the company not fix the schedules? Uh, why can't we hold this all hostage, right, in order to fix the schedules? And this just goes right straight back to the fly as much block as possible, pay as little premium pay as possible, and maximize Q1 at all costs, right? Note that we're already not flying the plan block, we're shrinking, right? Everyone here should be concerned about that. The lost opportunity costs for this pilot group, as well as the success of the business, comes from the current inability to staff and grow. We need more bodies to fix the schedules. Uh, The company needs more bodies to fix the schedules. Uh, You know, you'll hear rhetoric like, yeah, the classes are full, right? Um, And that may be the case, uh, but how full are they and are they as full as they need to be in order to grow? No, Uh, that's very simple, right? Uh, Even a class of 20 doesn't do it, maybe a class of 60. The mutual benefits package would lock in a, uh, a planned growth model for the next year, say 144 captains, right? It's not insignificant and then uh, allow us to uh, staff properly to that, right? So the ex- the exchange of value is just not as simplistic as holding growth hostage um, in the form of, you know, direct entry captains to force a fix on schedules. It just isn't that simple. Some of the questions that have come, you know, over the last four or five days, you know, questions about is the company solvent enough to continue and, is it a good business model? Yes, it's a great business model. Um, it's high revenue, uh, well thought through. Uh, truly, the vision that you brought to this business model is, is exceptionally good. Uh, Q2, right? Uh, April through June was not profitable. We lost like $4 million or something like that. The uh, 
the assessment that fuel cost caused that issue is likely correct and it is uh, an anomaly. And uh, further future quarters, uh, I would expect to be uh, good and healthy, right? Uh, we have a healthy company here. It's a healthy business model. Uh, it is incredibly resilient, which it showed during COVID. Along with that, great opportunity, right? If we can find the pilots. And ultimately, I think it's up to this pilot group through the MEC to work well together to make that vision happen, right? So how do we do this, right? How do we grow and hire while other companies aren't, right? Um, we've seen a, a rapid rapid change in the regional industry, bonus structures at uh, the wholly owned carriers and uh, at the non-wholly owned carriers, uh, pay rates that are, I would say, well out over their skis. I've, I've read airline capacity purchase agreements on the regional level, and they don't make enough money to pay that. This is a, from my assessment, and I think uh, this is the general thinking uh, kind of throughout uh, most of the people that I have discussions with, uh, say, um, Todd Insler at uh, United, um, Jason Ambrosi at Delta, everyone seems to share the same notion that uh, the wholly owned bonuses and pay structure are simply to retain people for two to three years until they find a wind down uh, path for those airlines. And then the non-wholly owns are paying that money, hoping that they live to fight another day, right? Knowing that it'll probably cause them to go out of business. It's a very, very interesting situation, right? And our mutual benefits package does some interesting things there. So uh, I just want to run through some numbers, right? So a, a Sun Country captain rate uh, starting in, in January, right, for a new hire. Uh, year one captain, 201.76, right? Where that equates to in these new regional hiring models, right? Uh, Republic is at 201.44 uh, at data signing with a 17-year uh, on their 17-year longevity step. SkyWest is at 200 and uh, so 287 cents, uh, $200.87 at their data signing. That's a 15-year captain. Mesa, $200 even at data signing. Uh, that's at a 15-year captain longevity step. Horizon, 202.73 at the date of signing for a 15-year captain. Our rate, 201.76, puts us dead in the hunt. We are better in every way. Uh, we should be able to hire and retain people. Implement the contract properly. Get busy with that. Do it the right way. Provide great quality of life to these pilots uh, in this pilot group. Compete on... Uh, commuting rather than ignoring it, right? And we can still uh, outpace uh, all of the regional industry and remain competitive even as uh, Alaska and other companies move up, right? We need to put some people in seats, make this company profitable, and push towards rates that fix our slope so we can stop the attrition to Delta and United. That is the story of probably the next couple of years in this industry, right? 
So just understand where the mutual benefits package would leave us uh, in terms of our competitive uh, pressure with the rest of the industry, right? Also know that the cargo industry is largely ignored, right, uh, by mainline looking to hire in the regionals. Uh, The cargo pilots choose uh, what they call lifestyle choice, right? They want to live wherever they live, Appleton, Wisconsin, right? And enjoy positive space commuting, which is ubiquitous across, you know, the NetJets charter model or the uh, UPS, FedEx, um, uh, Atlas cargo model, right? Yet we cling to a vision of passenger commuting that is only, you know, 30% of our business or something, right? SkyWest and Air Wisconsin are currently forcing upgrades in senior inverse seniority order, right? So basically like a junior assigned captain position. Uh, that is going to lead to a lot of stress for those airlines. That's a terrible path. It's one we chose wisely not to take uh, at this airline and have mitigated, right? Uh, and I'm going to point out here that the company is, you know, been tempted by a few bad moves and has uh, worked their way out uh, both internally and through conversations with us uh, from doing things like this, right? They've made some very, very good decisions in terms of not forcing upgrades in inverse seniority order, not doing E3 visas, you know, hiring Chileans and, and Australians to come in here, which, you know, Spirit has been facing problems there. Uh, additionally, um, you know, no, no really terrible oddities like a flow from silver or something that just is a, a, a black spot on our credibility in the industry with pilots who are looking to work here. That said, we've missed a couple, right? We, uh, hire, uh, people, we offer them a job and then we send them training materials, which they're supposed to study for four to six weeks on their own time terrible introduction to the airline, right? It just says we don't do it right here. Those kinds of things we we need to move past, right? That's in the mutual benefits package as well. So I think, you know, what's the fix from the crossroads that we're at, right? We need to see successful implementation. Uh, That's a relationship problem, right? And that comes with the toxicity that's being wallpapered over and it needs to uh, see some resolution, which is why we're calling it out the way that we are, right? With that, there needs to be an understanding that uh, having a healthy relationship with labor is uh, a competitive advantage, right? Being able to get a deal done like this is a competitive advantage, and this MEC needs to be able to deliver. The pilot group needs to understand uh, what it can or can't do and find a fair exchange of value, right? Uh, we need to help navigate that and allow the, the pilot group to make a clear decision based on uh, transparency in the facts. And then we need to grow, right? Uh, that, that's what gets us what we need. So with that, The conversation still is, uh, you know, what I said earlier, the most important sentence that you will hear today, right? We, this MEC, will work on agreeable leveling terms, right? Uh, Find a path, negotiate a path uh, while the management team talks to the board regarding the mutual benefits package, which is going to cost them a lot of money. 
uh, millions and millions of dollars, and they need to make some tough decisions there about the viability of the company through uh, what we're offering them, right? With that, right, we find the bodies that are needed to provide meaningful vacation leveling, meaningful change in scheduling, and uh, find some peace in the valley again, right? So uh, with that, I just I want to turn it over to Zillin for a little while uh, and just hear about uh, implementation, uh, where implementation has uh, found difficulties and why we're calling uh, calling out the the failure to implement as a foundational problem that needs to be resolved. Thanks, Eric. Um, yeah, I think you hit some of the big themes there uh, on a lot of this. It's kind of a reoccurring theme, unfortunately. Uh, the vacation, I'll start with the implementation stuff. The vacation loving is probably the classic example of kind of how some of this stuff goes. Um, you know, we, back when we negotiated this uh, part of the contract, it was designed to do a couple things. One, level the vacation because we've all been struggling with, and the company's been struggling with these peak months for whatever reason they've used uh, really antiquated data to figure out where to place the vacations here. As the airline has changed and grown, uh, they're still using you know outdated methodology on how to place the vacations. So, you know, we had tried before that to have, you know, conversations going, hey, this is not working for you. Uh, every September and May, you guys have problems and you come to the MEC and we end up sitting down and having to talk to you guys about fixes for that. And they just continued to repeat, you know, the mistake. So when we negotiated this, we said, OK, we're going to put in some things here that will kind of force the leveling uh, and make them, you know, look at it, deal with with the issue. Uh, we clearly stated back then that, you know, it would be much easier to do this leveling, uh, manage it on the company side, manage it on the pilot side, uh, at, since we were implementing PBS with the, and this kind of ties into PBS a little bit, fully expecting uh, that the intent was that PBS would be implementing January 1 of 2023. Um, as we tried to prioritize the work of implementing this contract, we mentioned to them last spring when at the point that I think it was April timeframe, at that point, most everything was teed up and was implementing within the next month or so. We said we need to sit down and talk about vacation leveling uh, and still anticipating that PBS was going to be implemented uh, January 1. Uh, we got kind of stonewalled. Uh, there was kind of the crisis of the day. Uh, there was, seemed to be always something that would crop up and, and it, this would get pushed to the back burner. Um, we mentioned it several times over the summer. Uh, I know in the like July timeframe, for sure, we brought it up again and said, hey, we need to talk about vacation leveling. We have a deadline of October 1 to put out a vacation bid. Um, still, no uh, meaningful conversation, just yeah, 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 we got to get to that. So we moved forward into the fall, uh, brought it up again. I think it was like August, uh, no real meaningful engagement or just, yep, yep, we got to get to that. So the first meeting we had, I believe, was about a month ago. 
and I shouldn't even call it a meeting. It was a short conversation as a part of another conversation that, uh, hey, we gotta we gotta get this vacation leveling thing figured out. And at that point, we had realized that PBS was not going to implement on January one. Uh, so we said, yeah, we got to talk about the vacation leveling. The vacation leveling is not totally dependent on PBS. So we're going to have to figure out how we're going to, one, level the vacations, which is a totally separate from PBS. And are, what are we, how are we going to, the pilots going to engage and use their vacation when PBS? Are we going to continue with the old system? Or are we going to do something different? And there was not much conversation. So then I believe it was on the 16th of September, there was finally a big meeting scheduled. Uh, there was a meeting at Sun Country headquarters, uh, had the MEC negotiating committee scheduling uh, committee there. It had a bunch of people there that are knowledgeable about this. And, and we had already exchanged uh, an email with the company about a week prior to that saying, here's how we think we should do this for 2023. Uh, we all spent... It was about a three and a half hour meeting. We left that meeting. I think uh, all of us on our side of the table feeling that we had a had a solution. Uh, we had uh, Will Outlaw sit down with Jeff Bosch, and they worked out the the final details of how we would level. The company's concern was the first quarter, as Eric Eric has explained. The first quarter is really huge. They they they're really laying a lot of emphasis and importance on the first quarter. We were sympathetic. We even made, I would say, accommodations for that first six months of the year uh, for 2023. And we all left thinking that we had a basically a deal in principle on how we we're going to do this. A few little details had to be worked out on the numbers. And we moved forward. Uh, as of, I'm not sure the exact time frame, but I think it was around Friday uh, or Saturday, uh, Eric Levenhagen called Eric Mink and said, hey, this is going to be different than what we talked about. Um, and that was kind of the first we knew of. It was a shock to all of us. That's kind of how the vacation leveling uh, items went. That's kind of the lead up to it. it. It was really pushed off to the last minute. Should have been should have been uh, addressed a long time before it was. Uh, seems the company... You know, some of the things I've heard as of recently, they didn't want to put it off because they thought they could would delay the publishing of the bid. And I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of speaking out of turn here, but I'd rather them waited two weeks and published it two weeks later and get it right than have have these issues that we're dealing with now. I think people would have been upset that it was late, but they're even more upset now that it's it's inadequate and totally doesn't even come close to complying with what we negotiated and the pilot group voted on. <clears throat> PBS, I'll move into that. Trying to remember, I think it was back uh, early spring or late spring, probably in the April time frame, we started talking about PBS. It was really one of those things, PBS, we should have been rolling on probably January, February, uh, having at least some initial conversations to really, if it was going to launch on January 1. Uh, we kept being reassured that, nope, nope, it's all good, it's all good. We selected the vendor and immediately started trying to engage with the company. Uh, we held one meeting that lasted, I don't know, about an hour or so with NavBlue once they were selected. Uh, but the company had not <clears throat> reached a, an agreement with NavBlue. A contract hadn't been signed. 
And ABLU was nice. They showed up to the meeting. They entertained our questions, but really were not willing to put forth any effort or time into it because they didn't have a contract. It's like, uh, show up and start doing work and we'll figure out how we're going to pay you. And, you know, most companies don't work that way. So this all rolled into the summer of getting a contract. Uh, of course, you know, two big corporations, you know, because Sun Country is a big corporation now, are, are going back and forth on contracts and, you know, what, what all the lawyers are doing, what lawyers do. No offense, Jody. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so we finally uh, had a meeting, a uh, two-day meeting with NavBlue, uh, and started talking about how the implementation process works. Sun Country brought in uh, a consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. You've all probably heard that name a time or two if you've been in and around the offices over there. They were to help implement this. So there was four entities in the room, Oliver Wyman helping the company, NavBlue, and then the ALPA group. Uh, we spent two days, you know, starting to identify things that would need to be done to uh, basically convert our line bid system to a PBS system. Um, you just can't transfer over the language. Uh, you don't do vacation the same way. You have to have planned activities. The training goes on the on the schedules and then uh, PBS works. But there has to be language and a process how to do that. NavBlue is a pretty well-developed uh, system. Uh, they have pretty well thought through. They work with most of the major airlines out there, and they've thought through the process, and they have a good understanding of how PBS should work. They all relatively work the same, but there is always a number of items that are specific to a company. Uh, for example, I think it's Spirit has uh, four days off between trips unless you opt for something different. So they have to know all these little rules and these little things that are particular to your airline and how you're going to do it. And then they can go and they can tailor your PBS system to what you ask them to do. Um, something they've done a lot, something I'm fully confident that they're very prepared and able to do. Um, the company somehow has missed that there is about a 40 page document on average. If you look at Frontier Spirit, Navlu, all these companies, uh, they need to uh, to look at these documents, and they're about a 40 page document where they can uh, tell the Navlu how to how to program. And we have not spent one minute really talking about that. So the Last word and things I'm hearing out of the company is that they somehow think that they've given all the business requirements to NABLU as of September 2nd, because that was the deadline NABLU gave them so that they could have something out of their system in January for us to start testing. Uh, Folkwa, um, I've been on the finish on this one a little bit. So if Eric, you want to jump in on it, but basically there was a videotape taken a few months back and it got passed around uh, from the jump seat. Somebody that was in the jump seat took a video, passed it around, and caused quite uh, a problem because anything that's captured off the airplane, video, recordings, anything like that, is FOCO data. The company, MEC, sent a letter saying, hey, we need an investigation. And the company basically just did a denial, not too much different than a... a uh, 
denial of a grievance and just didn't do any investigation as I understand it. Uh, Section 25, uh, FOLO, uh, we have never had a meaningful walkthrough of the Section 25 stuff that was negotiated. And because of that, there it has not been implemented properly. We don't have the visibility on the FOLO stuff in particular. That's probably the best example I can give you. There's others. Uh, the unseated language is not functional. Um, the company has taken that to mean something different than what I think was negotiated in the tent in negotiations. Uh, ECRU, um, once again, they 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 have a product there that. They probably would have been better off had they just gone and got Saber. Uh, they have spent a lot of time and money. They have spent uh, sent Sun Country employees, all over Wyman employees, to basically sit in Greece. Because uh, if they don't have somebody sitting there, they don't do anything. They won't work on the project, it seems like, or do very little work on it. Section 18, I know you guys have all heard a lot about this. I guess my pet peeve with Section 18 is that this was fully... Uh, negotiated were there some items that could have probably used a little bit of attention during the JWG to make them work better. But there is a group of people in the training department, and I've heard it today on the instructor standardization meeting, that keep saying that 18 is still being negotiated. It was fully negotiated, signed, and voted on by the pilot group in December. Um the the pay issue of not paying the paying the overrides was never the intent or there. The middle management and people below middle management just seemed to refuse to change. As Eric pointed out, I think he covered that probably the best. Um, <clears throat> what the company has really done in section 18 was they came back and they asked for additional productivity and changes to what was negotiated. And that's kind of really been the rub there. Um, they have taken license to try to start doing some of those things without agreement from the MEC, uh, which is kind of offensive. Um, They're starting to do the scheduling of the instructors and, and the trainees uh, differently than, than what was agreed upon. Uh, just blatantly just disregarding what was done uh, last December. Uh, relief lines. Probably one of the other biggest problems is we have the highest percentage of relief lines I've ever seen since I've been here. Um, so I don't know uh, how to get management to understand that those relief lines are are what's hurting their ability to make better schedules. I've heard this multiple times in the last week that they're really happy that they've gotten the lines down to 85-hour average. But what you see is guys up at my seniority level having 94-hour lines and guys at the bottom having 78 hours and working maximum days. So, yes, the average is there, but the schedule still, let's just say it's up. And, uh, you know, they, they think they've really done well because they went from 13 days off to an average of like 14. Um, so complete kind of way outside the industry standard or norm there. Uh, like I said, the training training department, uh, Section 18, is just totally off the rails. They're also uh, redeveloping the program uh, to try to get more people through. Uh, like one of the things on the call today is they're they're pushing to get guys signed off in 24 hour, 25 hours of OE if, if possible. Um, it's it's really kind of a misguided 
they got their OE backlog, but now we have a SIM, SIM backlog. So that's kind of uh, kind of the implementation areas that we've seen problems. Um, it's been just kind of a very difficult to, to finish any of these projects up. We will get solutions to things. We will be in agreement. And like Eric said, it'll get to the upper management Apollo side and they will say no. Uh, we will give them solutions to things and we get it pushed back and they can't get it decided on their side of the table that uh, and approved. So yeah. thanks Zon for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're, you're neat deep in this, right? Since December uh, dealing with um, all of the things of implementation, right? And yep. uh, I think I think you can hear the frustration, right? Yeah, I was going to say um, you guys could probably know it's I'm very frustrated. It's very it's very you know spend all this time to have little to show for it. I mean, we have the language, we have the what the pilots ratified and agreed to and want, but you know, yeah, I, I hate in, to say it, it's uh, really been very frustrating. In fairness, a lot of it has happened. A lot of it is there. A lot of it is being followed. There's people following up on making sure that it's followed. But we have these things that are still hanging out there because we haven't done the most basic fundamental thing, which is uh, what we've asked for many, many times, which is to just sit down and walk through the contract language, see that the citations fit, that the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, and that a contract gets published to the pilot crew, right? That, that process of walking through the language, realizing, you know, where the dead ends are in the, you know, citations and so forth, gets you to agreement on what the language means, what was negotiated, and ultimately um, uh, is the direction that you take to implement, right? But to put the implementation cart in the programming of computers cart before the agreement on what was implemented is literally to put the donkey in the cart. Yeah, they they, they really got themselves wrapped around the uh, programming of everything like games or whatever we were talking about and not talking about what we sh what we should be programming. Yes, uh, the other, the other that second is all well-intentioned, right? To yeah, get it, it was. To implementation the the computer programming was going to allow them to be compliant where they weren't um great investments were made into it infrastructure um you know investments into uh, oliver wyman as a consulting firm to watch over the programming uh ultimately um have not borne out the kind of quality that's necessary to succeed and with that, you know, people have been held accountable. That doesn't change the fact that we're in the situation that we're in, right? Yeah, and the, and the somewhat of a failure to to educate and to direct people on what they're supposed to do. That that's probably the second part of that whole puzzle. It's that middle management part that yep. I was talking about. Yep, exactly. All right. Um, with that, I just I want to frame up just a little bit before I turn it over to Will uh, and talk about what is in this uh, mutual benefits package. I guess, you know, I've done quite a bit of talking about the staffing situation and where the politics of the company are, the board are, um, where we fit in terms of staffing. Uh, 
understand that, you know, the realization of how bad the staffing picture actually is, the failure for this airline to grow. Uh, like I said before, we you either grow or you pay dividends, and we're not growing. It is very, very important. Like I said, this is going to be something that has to um, work its way through the pilot group. It messes with seniority. It messes with pay. Uh, it's a pretty significant LOA, uh, much more so than some of the uh, simpler ones we've done, right? Uh, with that, uh, I would ask that, you know, all of you start to become informed, uh, talk to Will, myself, Zillin, Kevin, uh, ask the questions of this MEC that you need clarified um, in case we do get to the point where the management team successfully navigates a path with the board so that we can open a, a ratification window, um, allow for people to vote and uh, allow for, you know, good solid participation that shows uh, shows management that we understand what we're agreeing to and that it has the the backing of the pilot group, right? So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to, to Will uh, just to walk through some of the, the details. And then uh, following Will's brief, we'll open up uh, uh, the call to uh, Q&A from the pilot group. So uh, go ahead, Will. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And appreciate everybody logging onto the call and staying with us. I know it's, uh, it's we're already an hour and 10 minutes in, so I'll try and make this as quick as I can. Yeah, you know, the theme, right, again, is... That, you know, this is the this is kind of a management that is not behind the airplane or not ahead of the airplane and barely behind it. They are clinging on to the tail in a bad way, despite their best intentions. Um, we are definitely doing, I think, what we can to help stabilize things and get them moving forward. We need captains. We need to get upgrades. We need to hire. Uh, so that's a lot of what this mutual benefits package is designed to do to help them plan and to help them hire. So one of the things that it includes is new for us is sort of an intent, an advanced entitlement bid or multi-class bid. Um, right now, right, we bid for permanent positions uh, monthly. Um, this would be sort of an annual, uh, you would indicate, uh, uh, you know, at an annual bid, sort of like you do with vacation, your intention to upgrade in the following year or 14 months, depending on how it works out. And what this does actually it allows the company to truly plan ahead of time and understand how many captains they uh, are going to make or maybe how many they're not, which is, I think, an important thing for them, especially at this stage. It provides some benefits to the pilots as well in terms of um, securing their career progressions and their intentions there. So there's some benefit on both sides there. Um, something new that we haven't done before. The way that we have it structured is you basically indicate your your uh, desire to upgrade in the coming window. Let's call it a year or fourteen months, and then there would actually be a multi. Uh, I'm sorry, monthly sort of class bid. So you would then inside of that uh, bid uh, month by month for classes. So that's new for us. Um, there's definitely some uh, commuter provisions that we think are really important that get us back on par uh, and competitive with uh, the regionals um, and frankly with um, the Uniteds and Deltas of the world as well. So things like positive space commuting online, which seems to be a no-brainer, but for some reason we haven't gotten there. 
Um, and then uh, the ability to actually do an alternate commute. So if you can't make your positive space commute online because something happened um, and the company needs it needs you there for reli- for operational reliability, they'll just buy you a ticket on Delta United or Southwest or somebody like that. Pretty seems like no brainer stuff, but I think it's the kind of thing that is really really important. Uh, commuter hotels, um, all the regionals, I think have been offering those. We need to start offering those as well. So that's in there. Um, and then some changes to the way that the trips are constructed, having long, 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 longer trips uh, that are commutable. So an early, early release, later start for some percentage of those, creating some minimum days off between longer trips, three days off uh, between five day trips and four days off between six day trips. So pilots can actually get home uh, when they commute rather than, uh, Ken, I remember Ken Helms who <laughs> had been, uh, in Minneapolis for 18 days or something like that, right? Because of the way that our trips are scheduled. So trying to fix those sorts of things. Um, uh, so it helps works on the commuter side. We want to do some things that work, uh, for the more senior pilots as well. And one of those is a sick bank payout, right? So when it comes time to retire, separate, um, you can sell back 250 hours of your sick time. There's a couple of benefits there. The company gets some additional productivity at the end. The pilot gets some additional money. Um, so I think that's actually a pretty makes sense sort of a provision that's in there. And hopefully that will continue. We'll get some traction with that. Same thing with a vacation bank. Um, so as pilots start approaching regulated age, um, you know, instead of taking five weeks of vacation per year for the last five years, maybe they take four. And then you bank those five weeks and at, uh, at your uh, in your last year, you can cash those out. Um, so those sorts of things that make sense, I think, for a lot of pilots who are, you know, planning and retiring here. Um, I'm one of them. And then, um, you know, as a way of kind of Framing the conversation, I think, um, getting people to to talk about getting people to come here, offering some in, some incentives. So, you know, a pilot, you, you recommend a pilot, you sponsor a pilot, they come here, they get hired, they get through OE, company pays you $5,000 as a sponsor if they stick around and then they upgrade, they pay another five grand, right? So basically a headhunter bonus. Really common in a lot of other places. Um, I think it's something that makes sense to do here. And again, this is aimed really at at jumpstarting the hiring process. More importantly, I think jumpstarting the upgrade process. Both of, the thing, both of those things need to happen for this place to grow. And then um, direct entry captains. This is one of those that I personally have had a fair amount of thought put into this um, because there are obvious uh, obvious concerns. I think everybody can can kind of think of some, but the more I think about it, I think at this point, if it's done properly, this is actually um, not a bad thing, and I think it can be what this company needs. So, what we uh, the way that we had structured it right is the notion of direct entry captains. Right, they are essentially protected by a significant training requirement. So they would come in, you go through the full FO training program. At that point, if there's a class available, um, you would move on, you would go into through the full captain training program. And then at that point, after that, you're still going to be looking at another 250 or 
so hours of OE with a line check airman. So take an experienced SkyWest captain who's been there for 14 or 16 years and knows how to be a captain and get an airplane around and really get them good training and a significant amount of supervised experience in our operation flying our airplane, and then they're going to be just fine. Um, and what that does is, I think, allow us hopefully to recruit, uh, get some pilots in here. There's some captains in here quickly, which fixes our vacation issues and fixes some of our scheduling issues. Um, and then the way, sort of the way that it was structured, right, is uh, the other pilots that kind of works hand in hand with our advanced entitlement bid. Um, so the other pilots who have indicated it, a preference to be captains, as soon as you start getting direct entry captains, you get a direct entry captain on property. Those other pilots are basically pay protected until their class date shows up. So there's some more details in that, but that is effectively how that works. And then um, just an increase in the override for line check airmen. Um, I think 30 bucks an hour, uh, quite honestly, isn't enough. So we are proposing another $20 an hour for those line check airmen doing OE, uh, more advanced captain upgrade trips. The uh, I don't know how many folks we would net, but we proposed a longevity rehire program. So pilots who have left here uh, in the last, well, up to 10 years, truly, uh, can come back and retain their longevity, so retain their pay, their vacation accrual, that kind of thing, but then start over. Um, they're still going to start over at the bottom of seniority list, right? But they're going to come back in and seventh year pay or ninth year pay, depending on how much longevity they had when they left. Obviously, those are also pilots who um, would be able to upgrade very, very quickly. Um, so I'm not sure if we'll get who we'll get back, but we might see Danny White again, although I kind of doubt it. And then just a couple of small things. Right. Uh, this includes a requirement for just some quality of life stuff to actually have specific start dates for captain upgrade classes. I can tell you that it's always a little bit squishy going through captain upgrade and when your class is going to start gets to be a little frustrating. So we've tried to fix that. And then another one, which I think is actually really important, um, and Eric had touched on this earlier, is um, when new hires come in on property, they come through, we'll get them. You know, they do in-dock for a week or whatever whatever in-dock is. And then they just go home for three weeks and they work on their CBTs and actually get those done. And that's the right way to do it. So they're here. The seniority clock is ticking. They're getting paid. They go home. They work for three weeks to get all their CBTs done. They come back and they can start their uh, sits and then their sims, which is a much saner way to do it than trying to basically push off all of that work as unpaid work for these uh, new hire pilots when they're getting ready to come in, which doesn't work very well. And this is really the better way to do it. So that's a real quick overview of what's in the longevity package. I just wanted to keep it as quick as I can, because I, I really want to get us to get to the Q&A portion. So yeah, that's what I have. Much, much appreciated. Thanks for that quick brief, uh, Will. So with that, I just want to say what, this package is intended to do right is fix some of how we got to where we got to with the vacation leveling uh, get us uh, back on the right path there's a healthy way to do street captains there's an unhealthy way to do street captains if you sell if you impose street captains on a pilot group much like you know forced upgrades all that kind of stuff 
leads to a very bad path. It, it it really is a death spiral for the companies that do that. They get a black spot and people don't go there. Understand that uh, we need to find the right balance of uh, you know value and exchange and value. There is value to us as a pilot group to putting experienced people into the left seat. I would like to see that be the seniority list pilot, right? That's part of what the advanced entitlement concept is that the most senior and most experienced pilots on our seniority list move into the left seat first. It also gives us a good idea of where we're at staffing wise, how many captains we really can make over the next year. Then we can sell tickets, get the revenue that comes from uh, knowing what our staffing is going to be. It gives us training, a real target to hit. There are some synergistic qualities of this. A lot of them have to do with our ability as a pilot group to actively create a package here that makes us competitive in the industry and gives people a reason to come here. The reason to stay, right, in part is going to come from implementing properly. The the two are inextricably linked, right? Seeing failures to implement means that our attrition is going to spike I don't know that that has translated to the thinking of uh, our management team, uh, that they're somehow locked in an ideological battle against labor. Uh, the reality of this, this is all in their court. They make the decisions on how they're going to run this company in terms of the relationship with labor, uh, the ability to uh, show the outside world that we have a great relationship. And as a result, uh, people want to come and work here. They want to come and stay here, um, and we should compete on quality of life. Uh, and that is inextricably linked to the implementation. The uh, mutual benefits package, this is so we have uh, things that we can actually go out and recruit with, right? How do you get people to come here who are commuters? How do you uh, get the people who are on property today uh, who have lived through some of the rockier times to say, yeah, this this is a good place, Matt, right? So it's all linked together. Anyways, with that, I'm going to open it up to the floor. Uh, if you are on a phone uh, and not on uh, Teams, it's star six to unmute, and Kevin will come around and uh, call on you if you have an open line. Otherwise, if you could use the, the raised hand function in Teams, that will queue you up at the top, and Kevin will come around and uh, uh, call on you. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kevin to uh, run the Q&A. All right. Thanks, Eric. And yeah, we've got a hand up right away. I've got Blake Williams. If you want to go ahead and unmute yourself, you have the floor, Blake. Hey, how's it going today? Great. Great. Um, I know we were talking about trying to recruit guys in and stuff like that. And I'm part of the recruiting team. I have been trying to talk to guys and now with all these regionals signing their letters or getting their TAs done and stuff like that. Um, when I approach them to try to come here instead, they're like, well, why would I go there when you guys don't even pay as much for first year, at least as they do. Have we tried to address that at all with, uh, the company to at least maybe get them up to the exact amount that they're, they're hiring at, at the regionals on first year pay. Yeah. Blake, I, I think the, we aren't having an FO hiring problem. Um, okay. We're having a, a captain hiring problem. 
the company does control first-year pay, and if they felt they weren't able to staff the FO position, I think they would raise that pay. Um, we are filling classes. Management would be happy to tell you that they're filling classes, right? Um, it uh, Apparently, what I hear is classes are filled through March. Um, great success, right? Problem is we don't have the captains to fill it, and every <laughs> – you either got to get the people who are on property to become captains, right, yeah. and say, I, I want to move into the left seat, which the, this program would do, um, or you have to uh, get the people who aren't qualified yet, right, people with less than 1,000 hours, 121 time, to say, I want to move into the the left seat and make sure that they get trained properly to do that, right? Yeah. Um, and, then, and then, really, you got to start to look outside because uh, the part that – Will um, uh, didn't get into the brief, but is part of this package is there's a, a minimum hiring requirement for the positions, right? So the the position bulletin itself, like would last 14 months, would have 144 captains on it, right? 350 yeah. FOs or something like that, right? So the notion is where, where are you going to get 100 and 150 roughly captains from? They're exactly. not going to come off of this seniority list, right? They, they're going to have to come from somewhere. And that's actually what we need over the next year. So the next, you know, January of 2024, we're actually flying 20,000 hours a block or twice the size that we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, fixing first-year pay does one thing. This does something yeah. totally and I, different. And I get that, too, as well. Yeah. I, was just, I, I was just letting you know what I'm hearing from uh, guys that I'm trying to recruit into here right and they could come in at uh, 201 dollars an hour or whatever uh, if they're uh, if they have a thousand hours of uh, 121 time or get hired as basically in limbo as this advanced uh advanced captain upgrade right so they hold the captain position day one start getting paid as a captain day one right and uh, when they get the thousand hours of one twenty one time, they um, move into the uh, into the left seat, right? So a uh, bunch of good stuff there. But um, yeah. Anyways, hopefully I addressed your question. Yes, you did. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Blake. Yep, Jeremy no Henchy, I see you've got your hand up there. If you'd like to go ahead and unmute yourself. You can get to your question next. Hey, guys. Thanks for all the hard work here. Uh, just a quick question. Is there any kind of a punitive uh, measure in place for the company if they decide not to implement uh, these things that we're talking about now? Or is this more of a good faith on our part to uh, to take them at their word? You know, the implementation stuff, I, I think you suffer the the quick greased slide of spiking attrition, right? Um, part of <laughs> the danger, right, of talking about the darker, more complex things of implementation that aren't being satisfied, right, is that people hear that and they go, this place is unstable and I'm getting out. There's plenty of stable places you can go. You can Delta United. It's not, not a problem. Um, they don't have labor strife. They don't have implementation problems. Um, yeah, they have different versions of that, but they're not like this one. And uh, truly, um, the consequence of not implementing 
really is attrition. They, they will pay deeply and dearly if they don't implement. And people really uh, need to understand that in the in the management team that there's real risk in running the course of you know uh, toxic labor relationships where you don't implement and you run over labor. Um, some of this is people are trying and just not succeeding. Some of it is um, ran by uh, one person's ideology. Get you covered, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks, guys. Hey, appreciate yeah. the question. It's, I guess it probably is worth it just pointing out we did at least file the notice to start the arbitration process as well yesterday. So uh, at least as it relates to vacation leveling. So um, hopefully we can negotiate a solution ahead of time, but that is at least headed to arbitration. All right. Jeff Pan, I see your hand up. Mr. Jeff, please unmute yourself. You have the floor, sir. Hey, guys. How you doing? Very well. Um, does part of this mutual benefit package address, I know we're talking about getting people to upgrade um, the slope of the pay scale, because right now I think it's probably about $65 an hour from a first-year captain to a 12-year captain. Does anyone address that to incentivize pilots to upgrade? Um, are you placing that comparison against the Alaska contract or against say delta united's current pace slow i wouldn't really say anybody's i was just saying you know i know what the uh, what you guys proposed and you said this will uh be more advantageous and uh, encourage people to upgrade and now we're running into this problem where we're 140 50 captain short yeah so currently the package doesn't include um a pay slope increase. Also note that none of this package has been negotiated, right? Sure. Um, this is a, in I would say, draft form and something that the company would be prudent to negotiate prior to presenting to the board only from the standpoint that they need to present something that's actually ratifiable. Okay. Yep. One is left wondering what you get besides growth. Right. Yeah. Right on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. I do not see any further hands up. I've got a whole bunch of uh, callers out there that would probably have a question. In case you're wondering, star six will unmute you. And if I see you unmuted, I will call on you. You could also use star five to raise your hand if you're on the phone. And as well as everybody else that's joined us, uh, you can go ahead and raise your hand. Any questions? Oh, I do see in the chat there, somebody has asked, if we could briefly describe the 2023 vacation bid. I don't know who wants to do I don't that, know that I... we can because <laughs> it was unilaterally imposed and we haven't had any discussions about it. I'm not sure that I understand even what, they intend to do nor do they understand what they intend to do right right exactly yeah i think maybe that i'm not sure if, um if the question is related to the three rounds of bidding that's yeah so i mean there are three rounds of bidding now which is different from what we've done in the past uh the three rounds to be honest work significantly better with a weekly vacation allocation. Um, yeah, okay, so Todd is saying, yeah, so how do the three rounds work? So honestly, Todd, I gotta, I, I have to look it up because it's been so long since um, 
we wrote that, I don't remember offhand. Um, all I know is there's, there's three rounds, and I can't remember what we do in each round, to be honest with you. So I got to look it up. But yeah, as I remember it, there's basically just uh, dates of open and close, right? And basically, you need to bid and be awarded uh, a, a week or a slot um, of occasion period uh, during each round, right? So um, yeah. that's about it. And then in, yeah. in the TA language, it's fairly clear. Yeah, it's it's not too complicated. It's three rounds. You get seven or fifteen days in in a round, and there's three goes through three cycles. All right. I had another question over in the chat section there, and, and guys, just just so you understand, if you put a question in the chat session, I I might see it. Understand, I have to switch screens in order to see the chat. So it's very difficult for me to keep an eye on the phone calls as well as the chat. Uh, just so you understand, I did see the question from Alex. Uh, question about the 3.5 rig and the 5 average day. Has the company started to look at the effect this will have, or the effect this will take on January 1st? And he goes on to clarify, my question was just about how many more lines will be needed and with these current pairings being mostly on trip rig. I know some of you, have, you we've talked that the, the company is looking at that. Uh, I don't know who wants to take that one there. Eric Zillen? Yeah, yeah, I can I can talk a little bit about it. it I know that uh, they've been looking at it uh, mostly uh, the scheduling committee, the Alpha scheduling committee I know has been running, you know, scenarios looking at how the effect of the 3-5 rig and the five-day average. Uh, they're, you know, pretty aware of what, that's going to do and it as everybody knows it increases the penalty especially on the long trips it becomes more costly to do those long trips those five day six day trips they they go up because the rig those mostly rig um it ends up basically increasing the days off that will be some benefit of that three five rig uh they can't cram as much flying or as longer trips onto schedules as before. So, so we should see, and I don't know if Ingalls or Kitsch, they, they would be better to talk to this than probably me, but generally that's what you're going to see. Yes, they will, they will see those trips pay more, which means they can put less credit on the line. Yeah, so instead of Alex, three, six day trips, they won't be able to do that probably anymore. Yeah. To Alex's question. Um, I don't, know that they're going to see mm, much more staffing increase or need than what they're currently at because they're at an average uh, like last month I think was five hours and six minutes and maybe the month before is five hours and nine minutes average daily credit right so most of those pairings aren't going to pay off of rig um, they are uh, they're already there basically does that make some sense? I hope we hope we answered your question there, Alex. Yeah, Alex says thanks. So appreciate it. All right. Let's go back here to our attendees. I do have another hand up. Bill Perry, I see you with the hand up there. If you want to unmute, you have the floor, Bill. Hey, thanks. Just a quick question. Uh, with the mutual benefits package and well as some of the other things we've heard so far today. 
there's a significant amount of discussion on the very young part of the seniority list. And by young, I mean simply years of longevity. And there's a significant discussion about the end of the seniority list with some of the sick buyouts and sick time buyouts, vacation things and such. But from an upgrade standpoint, the it seems as though when we bid every month, and I know a lot of this has to do with the scheduling issues and stuff, the brunt of the pain of a lot of that that's causing the failure to upgrade seems to me between the five and the 15-year seniority range here at the company currently. But we're not really hearing anything about what's being done or can be done in order to improve anything for those people that are in that range that are sitting in the middle of the seniority going, I've got five years in, does it make still sense for me to stay or do I jump ship one last time or does it make sense for me to upgrade or vice versa? I'm just curious if you guys can address anything like that because that also seems to be the brunt of where the scheduling difficulty is coming in in quality of life for those five to 15 year captains where everybody's stuck flying six day trips, five day trips and minimum days off in between with some instances where looking at the way the bids are coming out, you'll have a 20 day period where you only have four total days off. Thanks. Yeah, I can take a shot at it couple parts of that so what's happening with the push to q1 right fly the great q1 uh, make sure you you get as much block out of everyone as possible right with the notion that that's going to see the bump in stock price and apollo will exit um What's happening there is everyone is getting maxed out on credit, right? They were pushing 95. And what they're doing there, right, is uh, taking the senior guy's schedule and pushing uh, credit into it because it doesn't fit on the junior guy anymore, right? And uh, the result is that there's a significant deterioration in schedule quality from your seniority up through Zillin, right? Uh, uh, pretty ugly. Um, with that, you know, I've, I've tried to explain through the course of the call that it really is a staffing problem, right? Uh, two things have to happen. You got to get more bodies on property, uh, and you need to start to fly more efficient passenger flying at the same time. We haven't grown. That That's as simple as that, right? We haven't grown the passenger operation, any growth that this airplane is, or this uh, airline has seen over the last uh, three years it has really been in the cargo side of things. There's plenty of growth to be had, hundreds of markets out there to go take, um, but without the pilots to do it, we can't do the passenger flying. If you do efficient passenger flying, that just simply creates a situation where you can't uh, push more credit onto the line without causing days off, right? If you if you take the average daily credit from five hours and six minutes and you push that up to seven and a half hours, right? So you go to work, you do efficient turns uh, or at least efficient, you know, three-day, four-day trips, then you get more days off. The problem with this airline right now is that Amazon is sensationally inefficient. That isn't going to change short of, you know, shedding that operation, uh, which I think is highly unlikely. 
um, the passenger flying as a percentage of the flying that is performed needs to increase. When that does, the senior schedules just simply won't be able to put more credit onto them, right? There's been some efforts to mitigate the credit, take it down from 95, right, down to 85. Like, okay, um, that does something, but it doesn't do what is actually necessary, which is increase the average days off. And you know, the rig drives to 14 days off. That's what the company is building to. And I'm, I'm saying the rig, the 4-2 rig, drives to 14 days off. That's what they're building to. They're building the most aggressive schedules they can possibly build under the January scheduling rubric. Um, so don't expect change in January because it is already being built to that. And uh, the way out is simply more bodies, more captains, faster growth, and passenger flying. That's what's going to change schedules, especially when you get up into the 12 to 20 year band. Um, that That's where the, the change is going to come as efficient flying. Hope that helped answer your question there. All right. I am not seeing any. Oh, fantastic. I see a phone line here with their hand up and uh, phone number ends with 8109. If you star six, it'll unmute your mic. And you will be able to address us. There you go. I got you unmuted. Hey, guys. Uh, Austin Shanahawk calling. How are you? Hey, Austin. Glad you joined us. Hey, sorry if there's a lot of uh, background noise. I'm uh, driving back home. So I mentioned that uh, that this was in its draft form. Um, what are the chances of it actually coming to fruition? Has, has the company indicated... Uh, a lot of interest in this package, or you know, are they coming to us saying that these are the things that we're that they're that they're looking for, or are we going to them saying, hey, if we can get this done, that's going to help upgrade and, and retention and all that kind of stuff? Kind of just wondering where uh, the, what the genesis was of this. Yeah, Zillin, maybe you can add a little color to you know our vacation conversation that kind of. You know, it was a three and a half hour conversation with 15 minutes, of, well, three minutes of conversation about vacation and two and a half hours about the staffing problem that's clearly yeah. evident when you start to look at vacation. Yeah, I, I guess uh, to dive in that a little bit more detail, the, 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 that whole implementation thing that I went through, it's just the easiest say it's a mess. I wanted to try to give you guys as much material, but the, you have to have the context, and it just—it's really hard to do on a call like this. Um, that conversation was a three and a half hour meeting, um, and it was—it was teed up to be vacation leveling. How are we going to do vacation leveling? How are we going to do the vacation process for 2023 since EBS is not available? It shouldn't have, and it didn't take very long to address those two things. In fact, I bet we didn't spend 15 minutes on that stuff and we had agreement and we had a, a way a way forward and, and we all we had to do was work out the numbers. Um, the whole group was sympathetic to the company in their Q1 trying to, to help them there as much as they could with the staffing issues. I mean, like Eric said, we, we have to see success at this airline for all of our benefits, uh, for all the reasons. So the rest of the conversation was basically – almost very urgent request uh, to help them go out and recruit pilots. 
direct entry captains. Their their path forward they see in the fastest way to get the schedules better is to get more captains. The fastest way to get more captains is to get direct entry captains. That was kind of the whole conversation. And the second part of that was the panic. We've got to do really well in the first quarter to get Apollo out of here. We've got to get Apollo out of here so we can make the changes that we need to make so we can, you know, put a five-year plan in. And it was just literally uh, panic mode uh, almost on that. That if we don't get the direct entry captains, we can't get the upgrades. If we don't get the upgrades, we can't prove the schedules. If we don't get the schedules, people leave. It was just, it was very, very neurotic almost. Uh, I asked a question that said, what kind of you know, magic are we going to go over to, you know, try to get guys to come from Atlas or ATI or Mesa or, you know, some of these other places? What are we going to go say to them to tell them walk across the street and come to work at Sun Country? It's a better place to be. And the one of the only only suggestion that was thrown out was, well, we can give them maybe we can give them positive space, you know, uh, commuting on on uh, Sun Country. That was it. And I said, the other one was, well, they'll get to be captains. And I go, well, some of these guys may already be captains where they're at. So this, you know, mysterious, you know, I get to be a captain and wear four stripes is really not going to probably, you know, really be the draw that's going to get the people you need. So that's kind of how that conversation went in a nutshell. So I I think I hit most of the high points there. Yeah, I think, you know, Austin's kind of wondering are they really interested, right? And like everything that we're doing right now, it's really hard to tell because they ask for things and then we deliver and then they take it to Dave or the board and we get a no, I guess I didn't have alignment on that. Or we can do this, but we can't do the positive space or the, you know, $5,000 bonus for headhunters or the, you know, any of the gains for the pilot because it's all seen through that rubric of, uh, that lens of, uh, you know, pilot gains and the pilot group is winning and we can't let the pilot group win and we can't spend any yeah. more money. And That's that is it. a huge failure to see that all of this is necessary to create a package, as Zillin is talking about. What magic beans are you going to give me to go sell people on yeah. this place and tell them that this place is somehow better than Delta or United? Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, uh, that that sums it up beautifully. They They – don't want to give the pilot the payoff or even stuff that doesn't cost money, even stuff that is in their favor. If it's perceived as being a benefit to the pilot or costing any money, it's a no. It's it's a hard no. Uh, So, you know, you can sit there with the management and work out a really good deal. So back to your question, how interested are they in it? I don't know. I think there are certain people that see it as a benefit and would be valuable, but I, to be quite honest, I'm not confident they'll get it past the the board in the Apollo group. Yeah, I would add to that. that They they have to get interested in it. I would would add that if they don't get interested and they don't do this, that I think this place basically continues down the shrinking mode that it's on um, and struggles uh, significantly. It, It is not in a good spot. I think what's important here, right, is uh, that what you see and understand is that we are not hiring in the numbers that are even allow us to do vacation leveling, right? 
that's why the the conversation on vocational leveling turned very quickly into a conversation about staffing because we we looked at what they could do or were proposing that they could do and went, oh my gosh, that's kind of terrifying. You're that far behind the ball, right? While one of the other guys is sitting there going, how many captains can you get me by mid-November, right? So that we can have stability for the Thanksgiving week, right? Well, none, because you don't have a training program that can do that, first of all. Second of all, you're going to have to train people adequately to fly this operation, right? Um, so are they interested? I think they need to be. Who knows where the internal politics are? We need to have the conversation, um, you know, from the standpoint that if there is something there, if management successfully has a conversation with the board that says, hey, we need to do this in order to execute the growth plan. And hey, board, if you do this, you're going to be able to execute a growth plan that looks way more successful like this one over here. You know, and they come back to us and say, are you guys ready? We need to have the pilot group educated, right? Typically, it's a you put yourself in a really bad position as, uh, you know, in the roles that uh, myself or Will or Zillin are in here where you talk about the things that you're negotiating, right? Say a headhunter bonus at $5,000, right? Um, and if you don't succeed with the $5,000 number and it ends up at $3,500 instead, well, then we've failed. But we still got a $3,500 headhunter head bonus, right? But we have to talk about this stuff and talk about it openly because of the timeline that is uh, in front of us. So does it come to fruition? I don't know. The internal politic is difficult and a little bit toxic, uh, as I've explained, and I, I don't know that they can get there. But if they don't get there, where does the growth come from while we continue to attrit and barely tread water and have terrible schedules that nobody wants to upgrade into, right? So um, that's that. There was a whole lot there, Austin. I hope we uh, made things clear for you. Well, it, it I, I'm getting flashbacks of like the, uh, you know, the, the 11th hour, um, well, 11th hour and like 59th minute that the uh, the company came back to the table with uh, with the, the contract, uh, you know, uh, almost a year ago. So um, just curious about that. But uh, I have one more question if I can piggyback. Yeah, go ahead. And I promise this one's a lot easier. Uh, I'm a commuter, so I love the idea of the 13-day trips. Uh, I like seeing that they uh, got increased up to uh, uh, 17, I believe. It was 15 with two reserves. Uh, is there any indication that that number is going to increase, um, you know, up to, uh, you know, 20, 25 further. Uh, it seems like there's a lot more demand than there is supply so far. Yeah, we're totally open to it. Um, this is just, you know, skittish management who, you know, at the planning level can't think this stuff out well enough to know what's good for it. And, you know, there's there's increased expense for the company that goes along with these long trips and, you know, fear, right? They have fear. And they like to change very, very slowly. Uh, that that particular department is very change adverse, and little tiny tweaks. And let's see if it works. And they're they're slowly moving, you know, further and further. But it is slow. Um, 
truly, uh, there is more demand than uh, supply right now. So you're you're correct. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Austin. All right, I've got another hand up here. Uh, Brian Robin, looks like you're on deck. Unmute yourself. Yeah, I see you got yourself unmuted. You have the floor. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, hey, two-part question. Uh, on the long trips, uh, I understand that it's currently in a test phase until uh, through the end of December. Is Does the union see any chance of those not continuing into the new year? Uh, and then... Previously, you guys were talking about don't expect to see much change come January 1. And I was just trying to calculate uh, with the 3-5 rig on the long trips. I was roughly calculating that if those stay at 13 days, that the credit for those long trips would go up to roughly 85 hours. Just checking if my math was correct on that. Uh, or yeah, if I'm That sounds on. about right. I, I think yeah. your math was about right on that. And, you know, they so far have been willing to eat the extra costs in order to defray the penalties that they were paying to Amazon due to the multiple repositioning of crews and the operational instability that that caused by uh, offline deadheading, right? The numbers that you're talking about are right. And there's a lot of people whose inclination is to save money on those. And we can't do more of these because they cost money. But there are costs that go around along with, you know, not meeting our obligation to Amazon. And uh, so far, I think we're hopefully seeing some better operational reliability there as a result of these lines. And uh, what you'll see is uh, that there's a willingness to eat some of that cost in order to do that flying. Okay. Is there any chance of those going away or are they here for the foreseeable future? You know, I wish I could tell you with certainty that they're here. The MEC is committed to them being here. I have not seen the commitment out of all of management while some of management has been very behind it and understands that it's meeting commuter satisfaction and needs uh, that uh, well meeting the need that they need to meet in order to attract people who commute right so we'll see uh, where they where they get to um, I mean it's it's a total wild card right I, I wish I could tell you with some clarity where it ends up. But that internal politic, the, the two sides against each other, I I don't know where it ends up. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I'm 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 planning an upgrade in January, and I, I will say that the the number one driving factor for that decision is those long trips. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that those continue. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. And I, I <laughs> there's a lot of guys in your your shoes who are making decisions about upgrading based on things like those lines being around and uh, truly, uh, you know, probably downgrade or leave if, if you don't see the things that you need to see, I guess. Is, yep. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Brian. All right. Next up with the hand up, I see Nick Smith. Nick, go ahead and uh, unmute yourself there. And I see you've got it. Nick, you've got the floor. Awesome. Uh, thanks guys for hosting the call. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Uh, just a quick question on, on PBS and some clarification. Uh, as I understand it, Nav, Nav Blue works poorly um, fashion for these these programming. Somebody's on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying to mute it, uh, uh, Nick. Just stand by one second. Actually, um, looks like I'm good to go. Yeah, I think I got you now. 
Okay, perfect. Yeah. So my question is this: When when's the next deadline that the company and the and needs to have? Uh, I guess the company and and the MEC need to to have agreed upon language to send the programmers. Um, and then if they meet that deadline, when we, when could we possibly see, you know, the first implementation of PBS? Zillin, all you man. Oh man, that's a that's good. Cool. Uh, right now, I think implementation of PBS. If if we don't have any meetings scheduled. There's nothing scheduled with the company to talk about PBS or to talk about the PBS LOA that would have to be in place to tell NavBlue what to program. If we engaged and we engaged in it heavily, we could probably get that done in a couple of months. So given that we've got two fairly major holidays coming up in the next three months, I would say that You'd probably have to assume that we could probably get it done somewhere around mid-December, uh, right before Christmas, if we started working on it diligently. And I mean diligently. And if that's the case, then we probably hit the next deadline for Nav Blue to for their release, which is in March. So that means the release of that programming would come out in March, and then we would have to start testing. And depending on how those tests go, let's say it went flawlessly, then you have to educate the pilot group how to use NAPLU, and that's going to take a month or so. Uh, several rounds of test bidding probably, you know, we'll bid, everybody gets to see what it looks like, then we'll bid again on the same data, and then maybe do a third round of, so everybody gets to kind of play with the system and be able to compare apples to apples there. So if all that went well, you're probably looking somewhere around the 1st of July. But latest information I have is it's, I think even NavBlue is telling the company that it probably is more likely uh, fall, November-ish time frame. So, um, yeah, they, uh, well, obviously, I mean, everyone's well aware that Alaska is, you know, working to close up their deal and their PBS implementation is with NavBlue, and they've done a very good job of, you know, hemming in their language already. So they essentially are are ready to go. They have the letter in place that's needed for, you know, NavBlue to complete their work. You know, it's the the information on the customization of the program that's necessary uh, for NavBlue to program. Alaska has that in place and finished and ready to go. And we don't. And so I think there's a danger of getting put in the queue behind them, right? That said, I've, you know, in fairness, management has been trying to work with NavBlue kind of feverishly to get them to prioritize us. I don't know if that'll yield results or not. It's unclear to me. We haven't been included in the conversation, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I know they had a conversation this morning. We weren't a part of that, but it's kind of like getting the cart before the horse to a certain extent. Um, you know, there's not a lot that I see that NAPLU can do. I mean, there's a little bit they could probably do, but without that, you know, what's unique to Sun Country stuff, uh, which hasn't been done, it's really hard for them to do much and probably not practical for them to really spend time on it a lot until they have all the information they need to do it. Okay, thank you. Ethan Loftus, I see you got your hand up next. You're next in line in the queue. Ethan, you have the floor. Hey, guys. Um, 
Just a quick question with the discussion of direct entry captains. Um, obviously, with this being part of the mutual benefits package, this is very in the draft stages, but um, what is the talks as far as longevity and seniority, um, not only for those direct entry captains coming in, but uh, the, uh, the FOs, that have elected to, or in the future, elect to bypass upgrade? Um, is their seniority planning to be protected? Or are they going to have to come in behind those direct entry captains? Yeah, so um, two different things, right? One yep. is seniority, which is kind of how you bid your monthly schedule and what is your bidding power on your monthly schedule. Longevity is really that the pay scale and what year of pay scale you're on. Right. So a let's just talk about a, a direct entry captain who has, you know, a thousand hours of turbine PIC or something or a thousand hours of 121 time and can come in here as a, as a captain. Um, their seniority and longevity would tie to their hire date. OK. Um, excuse me. When you as a, a already existing seniority list pilot decide to uh, bid over into the left seat. Let's say that you wait out the advance entitlement, you wait for 14 months. January of 24, you bid for the captain position. You would sequence in terms of your seniority and longevity ahead of those uh, people hired as uh, a direct entry captain, okay? So um, other scenario, let's say that, um, that you bid uh, to be a captain right now today. Uh, I think you're probably uh, at the point where you could hold that position and bid over into the left seat naturally, right? Let's say that you bid towards the captain position inside of the advanced entitlement window. You would bid uh, the captain position. You would hold the position, okay? And then you could either choose to use the, your seniority to exercise an early class date or a later class date, Right. So if you choose to exercise your seniority for an earlier class date, you are pay protected when a direct entry captain comes on property, okay? If you choose to do something else with your seniority and bid towards a December of 23 class, right, uh, 14 months out, um, you just want to take the last class you can possibly take, uh, you would not be pay protected, okay? So the pay protection is tied uh, at least in the construct that we've worked on uh, to your bid towards an early class date. Okay, so you would sequence into the left seat as early as possible. You're obviously more senior than the direct entry captain, so you would hold a class date that is earlier than the direct entry captain. That would cause the direct entry captain to fly in the right seat longer, uh, and gain more experience at the airline. That about cover it, Ethan? Yeah, yeah, That I think that covers it pretty well. All right, perfect. Thank well, you. Thanks, guys. All right, I do have another hand up here. Paul Ruffle, you want to go ahead and unmute yourself? Paul, you have the floor, sir. Okay, first of all, thanks again, guys, for all that you do. I know it's kind of hard consistently aiming at a moving target. So this question kind of relates to that. Is there any possibility, I bid around the middle of the pack and captains, maybe a little above that, right around 100 any given month. 
which bidding every month is a rather laborious project for me because I commute. So that being all involved with the vacation bid, is there any possibility once we bid this that the company just all of a sudden decides to make an effort at leveling and we have an emergency rebid down line and I lose weeks that I put time and effort into bidding for already? Um, yeah, Paul, what we're going to do is we're just going to move you down to really junior captain. So you're only on the <laughs> and it'll make it easy for you. Yeah, it'll make it easy for you. Just don't bid, right? Yeah, just don't bid. Um, yeah, I think this vacation leveling thing, it, there's a lot of unknowns because this kind of got dropped on us on Saturday. And right. had even in the last uh, days, Tuesday, I, I was in a meeting all morning and then, uh, you know, we, the, I know Eric and Will and Kevin were getting ready for this meeting this afternoon. This afternoon, we even haven't internally had a had time to really talk about you know the what ifs and what'll happen next. I know that uh, yesterday was spent you know preparing the documentation and filing filing the grievance uh, to to take this. There's there's a provision in the uh, LOA that was signed that if there's we can't reach agreement. Uh, then it goes to an, kind of an expedited arbitration. I hate to say it that way. It's probably not saying it the right way. And you'll <laughs> yell at me later, but it, it hopefully will get resolved sooner rather than later. And like Eric said, hopefully there'll be a negotiated settlement even quicker than that. But there's really kind of hard to answer that question until we until we see what go, happens next. Um, right. You know, so there's still asked, a chance. You know, yeah. There, maybe that the award will be soft. Yeah. So, you know, guys have asked what they should do. I, I don't know. I, I guess I'd leave that up to, uh, you know, legal. I, I would have, I, we have deadlines that we have to have our bids in. And I, I guess what I'm planning on doing is I'll put a, I'll put a bid in and then I guess we'll see what the solution is. I, I don't know what that'll be. Maybe it'll be okay. rebid everything. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I don't think anybody can probably tell you what that's going to look like. At this okay. Point. And this is, this is a completely non-related question to that, and that, then that's my only other question. What is that with with what's been discussed so far with their level of pushback, especially when it comes to finances? Certain certain cogs in the wheel are pushing back pretty hard. So, as far as what's going to happen with compliance with the for, funding the four hundred ones. Um, when they you know, when they're overfunded, are we getting one check? Have they not even discussed it yet? Is it I, I, January? Is it? Yeah, there's there's a process there, and what they what they have to do there's a, there's a lot of tax law, and I'm not an expert on it, but I was part of what you know the group that that negotiated that, and what they should do is when you get the IRS maximums, uh, they have to stop putting money into the four hundred one k, and they right. should should be doing that. And now what happens is if you earn income, you still get that 13%. What we negotiated is, is cash over cap, meaning if you get the cap, you get the total, what they'll do is they should look on December 31st and see what you made for that year. And if you hit the max, the 13% that goes over the top gets paid directly to the pilot. Right, um, and that's my question. Has there been any discussion how and when? They, Is it they, Q1, yeah, Q2? I can, I can shed a little light on that. Um, they are working with Fidelity to understand how to do that in accordance with tax law and the contract. 
So it's going to take a few beats to give you an answer on it. I think from what I can see, uh, there's a desire to do it on a monthly basis. Uh, once you have exceeded uh, the uh, the cap, but they're working with you know their vendor and partners to see if they can make it happen. There's also a contractual, as I remember in there, I think it's March. I can't remember the exact date that they have to complete that by. Correct. They, you know, so so you know, uh, all I can say is contractually, they don't have to do it, as I recall, till like March. So they could do nothing between now and that. And I'm not sure we, you know, I know Jody's on the call. Maybe she has more insight here. But I think until they don't comply with what the contract is, we don't have an issue. And we kind of have to wait and see if they don't comply. Well, I'm just concerned, like I'm sure many of us are, that could bounce you at least one bracket. If you get it in a lump sum. Yeah, I'm guessing what they'll do is they'll, I don't know how they'll do it or how they'll pay it. But I'm guessing they will pay that the way the contract language is written right now. Um, they have to pay it by March. And I would assume based on previous experience of what they've done with stuff like that in the past, and they've managed it poorly, uh, it, it'll be some sort of, you know, I guess would, if I had to make a guess, it'll be some sort of check after the first of the year. So it would be in 2023 when you would be and the way the IRS looks at it is I think that's 2023 income. So I'm not a tax expert, but well, till April 15th, it's not, but yeah. Depending on where you put it. Uh, if it's, if it's, <laughs> if, it, well, if it's, see, that's not, that's not. Uh, yeah, we're getting that, into tax law. Though, I just yeah, want to know. The tax law here, even though if you've maxed out your 401k, anything that they pay you in addition to that is not retirement money, technically. It's it's direct income. So exactly. Yeah, Paul, we, yeah, well, uh, we've sort of got half of a com ready to go on this. We're kind of waiting on the other half. Um, obviously, as you guys can tell, it's like, I mean, you thought vacation was complicated. This thing is a real. Yeah, I can, only, so. imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I know. Get, yeah, when we get more clarity on it, we'll make sure that we get a calm out to everybody. I, I got to. I can be honest. It's it's been sitting there probably for a month, and every time I look at it, I I I roll up in a corner and cry. Yeah, um, me too. And then they say, I, you know, because, because I got to figure out how to turn it into English. But we'll get we'll we'll make sure that we get a the, calm out to everybody to answer that question for sure. So. And there's no way I'm alone in that group. I mean, like we just said, like in Eric's words, they're going to work us like horses, you know. So this, this is yeah, this is a this has never been a problem in the history of this airline before. So we're experiencing new things when you start having to worry about like maxing out like total 401 yeah. contributions, right? So but yeah, but yeah that's good problems to have, but ultimately it it's still a problem, you know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so we'll 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 get a comment on it, Paul. Just so you know, it's it's on our radar. It's just. I just haven't got it written yet, man. So understood. All Waiting right, for thanks. the freak change. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Exactly. That's my last question. Thank you very much for all you do, guys. I know it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, care, thank Paul. you, Paul. We appreciate you. And, uh, you know, you guys behind us is what makes it possible. Oh, and while I got you guys there, too, I know this is a very minor issue, but. As far as uh, non-revs and, and jump seats, we're getting the, you know, the constant notifications from Alpha. Make the walk, make the walk, make the walk. Well, I'm here to tell you, I make every walk, and our gate agents, somebody's either if, it, if it's our jump seat coordinator or whoever it is, has to put a foot down on the neck of whoever's training our gate agents because they are very quick to just smack non-revs off the list. 
And I've personally at least five times in the last month told the gate agent to their nose, if you're not the person I need to talk to, that's perfectly okay. But that plane's not moving if I have an empty seat and there's a non-rev in the galley. I don't care if it's a half hour. I commute. You're affecting my life. Yeah, people should be following Paul's lead on this. Um, This issue has gone to the highest uh, point in the company. And uh, truly, they have been told what to do. Uh, And in fact, uh, you know, the the VP of ground ops, I think, was, you know, canned and not in small part because of this. And they cannot get people to do it properly. They were trained wrong. And in that sense of primacy, they continue to do it wrong. We have to be the stopgap measure here and walk into the gatehouse. It's incredibly important. We cannot. I lost one in Orlando. Not to interrupt you, Brian, but I lost one in Orlando. I arrived at the aircraft. It was a pretty full load, say 180. And the gate agent said to me, you have a jump seater. So she handed me the form. I looked at the form and I said, okay, why did they not sign the form? Not that it's a requirement yet, but you should probably have them sign the form. And she just looked at me and I said, well, we're pretty full. Did you cast this person yet? And there was four people standing at that gate. And she looked me square in the eye and said, we don't do that in Orlando. I said, well, you most definitely do do that or they don't get on the airplane. And then once the airplane was loaded, we had a delay for a different reason. I walked back up to the gatehouse and what that equated to her was to kick the guy to the curb and rip his form in 50 million pieces. I dumped the trash can on the counter and tried to page the person when I pieced together what the person's name was. And I wrote a scathing debrief on this. And I've received only the response that it was looked at and it's been dealt with. But I didn't get any other response. All right. I appreciate it, Paul. You know, that that things like this, stories like that, individual instances, all of those things. If anybody experiences these, please, please file a dart. We We pay very close attention to that dart system. And I can tell you. Personally, that every single morning, my first job is to review each and every single dart that comes in. And we I'm not the only pair of eyes on these things. Our dart managers are all over it. The rest of the MEC is all over these things. And I can tell you, when I see a dart like that, it, it's going to get, you know, <laughs> very quick attention. Uh, I know Pavlish, our, our jump seat guy, he takes every one of those instances very seriously and is all over it. So, so please. Yeah, I was just, it, it just concerns me immensely because <laughs> with the moving target that our quote commuter policy is here, and as a lifetime commuter, I take jump seats very seriously. And, and so, you know, the company does too. The, the company right. is behind you on making that walk. They're, they agree we need to get the jump seaters on. They want our guys to get to work just as much as the other people. Exactly. That as long as you know we're calling out bad behavior, I'm going to call out some good behavior here too. Joe Houghton, soon after coming on property, right? uh, We had a Southwest commuter that was denied by our gate agent, and exactly the scenarios that you're calling out here, Paul. And uh, we were able to extend that commuter uh, through Joe uh, a positive space ticket uh, on his next commute on Sun Country. So we we did the right thing, right? Awesome. Um, but we we all need to make sure that we're doing the right thing here. 
until we can get this company, you know, in control of its middle management structure and things like, you know, training gate, gate agents on the importance of jump seating to the ability to, uh, uh, for this place to have pilots uh, is, you know, brought to bear. So with that, thanks Appreciate for coming, Paul. Uh, we're, we're glad to. Yeah, and I'm not fingering any one person. I just want someone watching the hen house. That's all. Yeah, that's right. All right. With that, you know, um, we're running up to about uh, two and a half hours on the call here. Um, if there are any last questions, comments, uh, concerns, uh, please let us know. Uh, you can contact any one of us uh, directly. Uh, we will, you know, as the uh, as the negotiating on this progresses and as it becomes clear there is or isn't a package, we'll let you know. Uh, we'll keep the pilot group informed as to the arbitration process on uh, vacations. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. We can reach a good, solid, uh, mutual uh, resolution to that that avoids the conflict. I think that we can do that. I feel confident that uh, uh, the relationship uh, on the other side of the table is going to allow us to get there. It's just one of those things that, you know, has to get triggered in terms of that arbitration uh, in order to hold the line on uh, on what was negotiated and what uh, the obligations are under the contract. So um, know that we'll we'll keep rowing in that direction. Uh, I see Patrick uh, Wolfson, you got your hand up. Uh, go ahead and uh, you have the floor. Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, been multitasking today, so this may have been covered. It may not have been. Number one, I appreciate everything you guys are doing for the entire pilot group here at Sun Country. We all appreciate it. Um, I know a few months ago they sent out a mass email of surveys to FOs that were bypassing upgrade, wanting to know why, 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 why. Was there any certain couple things that guys were leaning towards or reasons, or was there ever any feedback out of all those surveys that were sent out? I'm told it's schedules. Okay. Yep. Schedules, days off, right? Control over your schedule, days off. A little bit of commutability. Um, right. I, pretty obvious, I think, to pretty much anyone here, right? We all have conversations amongst each other, and it's pretty clear where the issues are. Yeah. All right. Appreciate it. Like I said, I mean, we all know that, you know, schedules is probably number one. And, you know, I, I get two different phone calls from people asking, Hey, you're eligible. Why are you bypassing? And that's a big thing for me schedule and, you know, stuff at home projects at home. But, uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious what your guys' input was on that. Yep. That's right. Uh, that's the message that we're carrying, right? You got to fix the schedules. Note with that, right. That, um, I, like I said, I don't think there's going to be any schedule fixes for a good six months. The desire to fly Q1 as hard as possible is very real. And the the relief valve here is captains putting people in the left seat. I want it to be our seniority list guys, but if guys don't want to move, they want to exercise their seniority to stay in the right seat. Uh, we need to deliver on a growth plan, right? Yeah. I appreciate it, guys. Yep. All right, uh, Todd. I, I think you had something that was hanging out in the chat that maybe I didn't see, and I just I want to try and come back and address that. You know, I think what what the main question is, is they were really unclear with the bid that they did release. As bad as it was contractually noncompliant, it was also incredibly poor explaining 
how the actual bid process is going to work this year, Eric, and, and and how it's split into the three weeks. So how much can I bid in the first bid? You know, what can I bid? Yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot of problems with that. It, it, Kevin's right, on, and also there's the uh, provisional bids. It's like I don't know how you do that. I haven't looked at their system, but that electronic system that they're trying to force on everybody, I, I haven't really looked at it enough to know much about it. But yeah, there's a whole series of questions there that I have that I haven't even been able to figure out yet. So I think that's kind of what his questions were: How do you bid, and what are you bidding for? And it's like. Seven to fifteen days uh, in each round is what you can bid, and I'm, a lot of other questions I can't even answer after that. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we didn't really have any discussions about that stuff, and I, I'd be way out over my skis to to tell you what their intention is, even though there's language that you know delineates how some of this stuff is supposed to work. I guess the bottom line, Todd, is we're a little confused as well, so I. It's hard to help you much further than what we've already said. Like Eric said, we don't want to get over our skis. I guess personally, I'm going to try to put in a bid so I have something in. But I, I, I like I said, I got more questions than I got answers. Yeah, I mean, from a practical standpoint, uh, the thing is going to go to either a negotiated solution, which is going to cause a rebid, or an arbitrated solution, which is likely to cause a rebid i i don't know what else happens there um maybe there's some little you know ray uh one one degree of light here that you know says that possibly maybe somehow what is bid stands but i i just don't see it all right i uh you know todd added a little bit more here it's it, we're we're in a really difficult position to try to clarify things that we don't even understand or know, given the lack of the the company's clarifications to us and, and where things have left off the last time we talked, it's really difficult, Todd. I know you were concerned about the 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 danger of being assigned. Understand with the multiple bid round process in this first round, you can't be assigned any vacation. It, it just, that that cannot happen. So. Uh, uh, again, I don't know that that's true, Kevin. Just to put that out there. So, well, yeah, that's um, what I was just going to add the caveat with the with the state of noncompliance. I guess we don't know, right? Yeah, I, I think we're in the wild west here. Yes, yeah. kind of that. All right. Yeah, I'll, Todd, feel free to call. You know, as as time goes on, and see if we can figure out something or help you. As of right now, we haven't had any discussions with them since. I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday of last week, something like that. Um, and, you know, and maybe they want to get over the calm. I don't know. It, right. I mean, it wasn't nice, but it, it is reality and it needs to kind of just take the bandaid off and bleed a little bit. Right. Maybe after that, we start talking about vacation and get somewhere that's meaningful. Right. All right. With that, I, I'm going to wrap up the call. Uh, thanks, everyone, for getting on. Uh, as soon as we have more to talk about, we'll open up another all-pilot call and uh, uh, get some more information to you. Uh, thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.